This morning we continue in the Kingdoms in Conflict series, and uh, it's a good thing. We're looking at labor this morning. Labor, what's the fruit of our lives? What's the, what do we give our lives to? At my workplace, um, uh, we had a retirement a week or so ago with Sean, a uh, great guy. He's the master plumber for Montgomery County facilities. There's 400 buildings, you know, libraries and rec centers and this kind of thing. And uh, he uh, uh, retired after 20 years of service. He retired. And it was a breakfast event, a bowl of fruit, a couple pastries, you know, a nice card, a few kind words from the boss, you know. But, but how many of you have retired? How many of you have gone through that process? I, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I go to these things, it kind of, you kind of walk away from it thinking, you know, you're just kind of a dry taste in your mouth. Just like, is that it? it <laughs> I mean, 20 years of cold on the right and hot on the left, and imagine how many broken water mains he's serviced and how many clogged up sewer lines he's had to clean out. And, you know, 20 years of that, and he's the master plumber. It's his license at stake and all that. I mean, I don't know. I, a gold watch or something, I, I, you know, a cash bonus. I don't know what what to expect at retirement, right? Even if it was a steak dinner, it seems hardly enough, does it? It seems hardly enough to reward a lifetime of work and dedication. Just kind of empty. Like, is that it? You know? And, and you start thinking this morning about this topic. Do you ask yourself the hard questions sometimes? I'm driving to work. At, I'm back to driving now. And, uh, driving to work, going down 29, I mean, people flying by, I'm doing 70, you know, it's 55, and people still flying by in the morning, you know, soon it'll be dark out, you know, just like, is this worth it? I mean, what, what am I doing? You know, you ever, you ever ask yourself those questions? You know, maybe the, the soldiers coming back from Afghanistan, and now hear that they've all done, their buddies have died and bled on this Afghan soil, and now we're just turning it over to Taliban, I mean, you know, and what's the question? Or, or, or Louisiana. And you come back to your house and it's, there's the foundation, but the house is gone. And the question, do, do I rebuild? Do I go somewhere else? Or maybe you're a homemaker and, and you're raising this family and you're doing the best you can and you're looking to God and you're praying for these young people growing up in your house. But maybe things aren't going the way you thought they would go. Parenting is, is full of disappointments. It's full of expectations, unmet. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't because they become adults and they make their own choices. We understand that. But it's difficult sometimes to go through, right? Or maybe you're a student and you're up doing your homework at 11 o'clock at night and it says, due tomorrow and I've got to get it done. And you think, is this worth it? Right? That's the question, right? Is this worth it? So these are some of the questions we want to get into this morning. As many of the kingdoms and conflict topics that we've talked about, it seems if we follow the world's way of thinking, if we're just working for a paycheck or just working to prove ourselves or some yearning for affirmation or status or pride or, or some symbol, you know, the corner office at the executive world or whatever it is that you're working for, if, if God's not at the center of that, you're going to be sorely disappointed at the end of the day. The world is full of disappointments in the professional world. So these are the questions we want to ask ourselves and look to the Lord for this morning. So let's pray here a minute. Lord, we just ask you to encourage us. We bring to you difficult questions. We bring to you tasks that are just enormous in some of our jobs. How do I approach this situation with the, with the compassion of Jesus Christ? How do I bring the gospel into my work? 
Lord, would you help us this morning? Help us open our eyes and see your intentions for our work. In Jesus' name we pray. So I invite you in your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Genesis, a couple of big things, big picture things as we get on here. First off, yes. The answer to the question is yes. It's worth it. It's worth it. Even Afghanistan, it's worth it. Because God is honored in our work. God is honored in our work. The second thing is to keep his work in our work. Keep his thoughts, his gospel in our work. As, as we work in our hands, that we're keeping the Lord in that. And then thirdly, look for his work in us. Because we're his work. He's working on us as we're working for others. So things to think of this morning. Biblical view, familiar verses, Genesis. Yeah, God said, let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock, over the earth, and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So that verse back there, subdue. That's, it, it, it's, it's not a... Uh, it's not a conquering. It's more of a bringing one under one's control or one's advantage. You might paraphrase it as harnessing its potential, using its resources for your benefit. In ancient Israel, this would have suggested cultivating the fields or, or mining for minerals or cutting down the trees to use for construction or domesticating animals. Our work is active. It's engaged. It's assertive in its pursuit and its progress. Notice, too, that we are created in God's image. We're given God's nature. We're ones who create. We're ones who bring light, order, and beauty out of darkness and chaos. We're to develop and build. We're to create cultures such that others can thrive. Human flourishing can fill the earth. We're to utilize our God-given talent, skills, and abilities to bear His image on this earth, ruling as His representatives so that when we work, we reflect the nature and image of God. You ever, you ever do something and you stand back and look and say, hey, that's, that's all right. That's, that's pretty good. That's very good, right? That's, that's an attribute of God, that, that your work is reflecting his work, the ability to create and build something and, that helps other people. Genesis 2 carries on with this uh, command to, to Adam. It said the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Two tests there, right? To cultivate it. You're bringing up the soil. You're getting out the rocks. You're making it fertile. You're making it produce something. You're bringing something forth. That whole word of cultivate is the word for culture. Imagine if everybody just quit work. We have got a good Labor Day holiday. Everybody, okay, nobody goes to work tomorrow or Tuesday, right? So Stephen, nobody will get their hardware. They'll be late. Call them. They'll be late. Or whatever you do. Right? It won't get done tomorrow. How long would it take before things start to just unravel? Where there'd be no gas at the pumps, there'd be no electricity, and we'd all be back to huddling in caves with sheepskin. Right? I mean, culture breaks down when people just don't work. It's part of God's good intentions for us to work and serve each other and fulfill human flourishing, to bring forth something that's orderly and beautiful and good. 
right? That's what God wants. So those two things, cultivate it and keep it. You think about the police creed. I have a son-in-law who's a policeman. He's protect and serve is his the Howard County on their patch, you know. Keeping it, protecting it, guarding it. I've always had a dream of having a free orchard. And man, we, I, I, so Mary got a little property and, and, and we said, okay, we're, this is going to be the fruit orchard. And we started out great. You know, we had, we had rows picked out and we had, oh, we're going to put the apples here and the plums and the apricots and the peaches and it's going to be great. You know, people come and pick their baskets and well, it worked out pretty good for, got off to a good start. But then the goats got out and they took care of the blueberries and the grapes. So, I mean, <laughs> they were just gone, you know. And, and then the, the 10-year-old on the lawnmower, he wasn't so good either. He kind of mowed over a few of the trees and I think we got a couple apples and the deer got those. So it's like you got to protect what you cultivate. You can't just leave it, right? Because things are looking to eat it up. Anyway, that's quite a lot to keep in mind, isn't it? As we, as we go back to Sean and, you know, cold on the right and hot on the left and poop runs downhill. I mean, so to keep his work in our work, right? That's the challenge, isn't it? in the daily task of fixing pipes and doing whatever we do, that, that we keep his work in our work, that we've been given a high calling to represent and further God's creative order and cultivation of human flourishing. If this be in the home or caring for a family or children or aging parents, our loved ones in communities, serving, reaching out to our neighbors, or in the public workplace, to helping others flourish and grow and building and cultivating. And do you see your work as valuable in the sight of God? We should. We should be encouraged by that. We should see that our work is fulfilling His work. And not only that, do you understand that God has placed you in your workplace? Not just to earn a paycheck, not just to open our mouths and tell others about the grace of God, but even for the work itself. That in the work itself, there's value, there's dignity, there's honor in working. That, that the goal of life is not to earn enough money so I can not work. That's not the goal of life. That's self-centered. He who works for himself runs a very small business, right? I'm working to give to others. I'm working to contribute to others, to contribute to society, to, to bring health and, and flourishing, right? Even though it may not be spiritual work, it's still good work given to you by God. And this, this has been personally just refreshing to me. I've been reading through uh, Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor, and uh, it's been very good. We'll read from it in a little bit but work that helps others to flourish, to grow, to live, to thrive. And he's uniquely gifted you with gifts and skills and abilities to fulfill your work. And as you look back across your life, I'm sure you can see the finger of God to prepare you to walk into that environment and to be fruitful, to be, to be helpful, right? That's what an education is supposed to prepare you for, is not just to get smart, but to make you useful, in the workplace, to help you learn and to be able to learn and interact. Most of what a college education gives is outdated in what, two or three years, they say, right? And most of us will have two or three different careers. It's just phenomenal that we can have so much range of opportunity. In the old days, you had one job, you know, it was rolling potatoes or working in the coal mine, and you did that from the day you were of age until you died. You know, now we have two or three careers, and most of us will have an average of about 14 different jobs over a lifetime. A lot of career mobility these days that you didn't have before. But in all those changes and transitions, I can look back and see the handiwork of God in my life. Can can you see that? Like, I love construction. I, I, I love just about everything about it. The fast pace, 
the unpredictable, ever-changing field conditions of weather and materials and finances and manpower, the hazards of heavy equipment, uh, working on the rooftops or heavy steel, and the never-ending problem-solving. Every day there's a new problem. Okay, how are we going to do this? You got the ductwork's supposed to be here and the pipes... Okay, how are we going to... There, there's always a problem to solve on a construction site. You know, and then you've got the mix of cultures that come into construction. The lofty, high-minded architects that, that come. I literally had one. He would drive up to the job site in his bright VW convertible. He would get out. He had a suit and tie, very proper, probably even a hat. And he's coming up to the job site to inspect the job. Now it's 12 degrees outside. We're in mud up to our, you know, whatever. We're trying to get these foundations in. But here comes the architect. You know, and all of us dirty booted construction guys out there just, just working, trying to get something to go. To bring all those cultures together, the Latino crews and the, the, just to bring those together and say, okay, as an owner's rep, let's build something we can all be proud of. Let's work together to build something. And that's, that's been the challenge that I've really enjoyed. You know, what's the saying? If you uh, find a job you love, then you never work a day in your life. And that's part of the challenge of being a young person, of figuring out, what am I gifted at? What, what are the skills and abilities God's gifted me with? Because, see, I grew up son of a general contractor. I grew up sweeping the floor at Dad's, the house that Dad was building. So you saw the construction process. You knew how hard it was to produce something. And, and, and to bring something about. You know, look for how God is preparing you. Look for how he's, he's molded you and, and given you gifts and abilities. I think of the, the uh, instructive bosses I've had, the managers who've said, you know, son, you made a mistake, but I'm going to keep you anyway because we're going to call that a training exercise. We're not going to call that your termination notice. First mistake I made cost my company $63,000. The last mistake I made with the county cost $450,000. Like, ooh, oops. It was that much to get out of it. But in all that, you see God teaches you even through your failures. In the things you didn't do right as well as the things you did do right. So God teaches you. Look for those training opportunities. Look for the people who are investing in you. Because at the end of the day, we are God's field. God is working in us all the time, right? And a lot of times it's through our work that God is teaching us that you are God's field, you are God's building, that he's building into you there in 1 Corinthians. So look for God's, God's handiwork in your lives. And you can be sure that he is there. In your daily work, the Lord has prepared you, placed you in this task, and called you to do this good work that you're doing. He gives the resources to you of his spirit, his church, and his word to help you. He will give you wisdom for his work. So moving on here, thinking through, what are the distinctives about a believer? The work of a believer, how is that different than the work of a non-Christian? What are the distinctives about a Christian, a one who's following Jesus Christ? And the first one I think of is, is, number one, who are you working for? Are you just working for the boss? Are you just working for the money? Are you working for the Lord? Is it, is it him you're working for? Colossians 3, 2, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people. No, it's from the Lord that you receive the reward of the inheritance. Inheritance. Something comes later, right? May not get it today. May not show up this week. But it's a reward that God promises us. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve in your workplace. God gives us this assurance that our work is not meaningless. It's not just filling up time. That we serve the Lord in our workplaces. See, because it's not my reputation at stake, it's His. 
if I'm working just for myself, for my own reputation or wealth or status, I'm really missing the point. But my work should be marked by the love of Christ, by his character. I need to work with diligence. I need to work with integrity. I need to be honest in all my relationships. I need to build others uh, and, and have trust in relationships. I need to be on time. What, what does it mean when you show up on time? Well, it means you keep your promises. It's a sign of integrity. Right? I had a boss, he, he said, uh, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. <laughs> we had a staff meeting one morning, and uh, he was late. And, so the big, and he, was, he was a strong boss. He was a Vietnam uh, uh, veteran, uh, army captain. Good guy, but man, he could be harsh when he, when he wanted to be. He, so he comes in, takes the clock off the wall, moves the time back 15 minutes, and hangs it back up. <laughs> Because he's the boss, right? We all laughed. But he was, man, you, you, weren't, you weren't late for a meeting with Fred Edwards. I mean, you, you better show up on time. Anyway, small things. Be honest in all your dealings. Speak well of others. Listen to others, To Be teachable. That, that last mistake I made, the $450,000 mistake for the county, if I'd listened to my inspector, we wouldn't have made it. He said, Mike, you don't want to do this. I should have listened. I should have been teachable. I wasn't. Treat people with the kindness and love of Christ. Ask questions. Now, this, this is so neat. Do you get to know the people in your workplace? Do you show interest in them? Do you, do you get to know their stories? Meet some fascinating people. I uh, met a young lady last, last two weeks ago. Got to share the gospel with her. Um, I said, Debbie, what's your story? And uh, basically, in that question like that, open-ended questions. She said, well, I've been, I've been five years clean. Seven years ago, I got hooked on prescription drugs lost custody of my two kids they went to go live with mom I've just gotten my kids back I've been clean for five years wow I said uh, do you have an element of faith in your story she'd gone through uh, Narcotics Anonymous and the higher power idea and I suggested to her that Jesus is a pretty good higher power you know that he that I had made mistakes too in my past and 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 how he can come and clean that up he can come and restore and rebuild Another young man, uh, uh, Jose Garmendia, from Guatemala. Uh, the atrocities carried on by gangs and drugs cartels in Latin America. We, we can't even understand some of those people who walk through the desert to get to this country, what they're fleeing from. Uh, young man, excavator, excellent operator, uh, hard worker. We're, we're chit-chatting one day. I said, Jose, where'd, where'd you come from? He said, oh, I come from Guatemala. And uh, I said, how'd you get here? He said, well, I walked. And I said, well, why did you come? He said, the drug, cart, the drug gang wanted him to work for them, and he wouldn't do it. And he lifted up his shirt, and the poor young man had been cut. They took a razor knife and cut him. It's like that. Left him for dead. Like, wow. You know, what some people have been through, their stories. Take the time to listen. Take the time to care. Take the time to show compassion for the people that you work with. And in so doing, you're representing Christ. Right? You're representing God. You're getting to know people. And then bring the gospel into that. Another distinctive factor that should mark the, a believer's work is the Sabbath. Okay, and a couple of principles here of the Sabbath. Of what the Sabbath rest does for us. You've got Exodus 20, where God commands the Sabbath. 8 through 11, I'll just read it for you. It says, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. But on the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in it you will not do any work. For you, your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, your cattle or your sojourner with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day, and therefore God blessed the Sabbath, made it holy. One of the Ten Commandments there. 
So it's a reflection of the nature of God that because he rested, we should rest. You think about Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you're saved, not a result of works, right? That no man should boast. So it's, it's a reflection of the gospel that we can rest in the gospel, that we can rest in the grace of God. A couple thoughts here from uh, Every Good Endeavor on the Sabbath. It says the relationship between work and rest operates at a deep level. All of us are haunted by the need to prove ourselves or save ourselves or gain a sense of worth or identity through our work. But if we gain and experience the gospel rest in our hearts, it can free us from the need to earn our salvation through our work. We'll have a deep reservoir of refreshment that continually rejuvenates us, restores our perspective, and renews our passion. So that gospel rest is a reflection of the nature of God. Another thought here in Deuteronomy 5, it's a declaration of our freedom. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, it ties the observance of the Sabbath to God's redemption. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And God portrays the Sabbath day as a reenactment of emancipation from slavery. It reminds us how he delivered his people from a condition in which they weren't human beings anymore, but they were just units of capacity in Pharaoh's brick production. Right? When they were slaves in Egypt, they didn't have personalities. They were just slaves. But God frees us from that, doesn't he? Anyone who can't obey God's command to keep the Sabbath is a slave, even if a self-imposed one. The Sabbath, therefore, is a declaration of our freedom. It means you're not a slave, not to your culture's expectations, your family's hopes, your medical school's demands, and not even to your own insecurities. It's important that we learn to speak this truth to ourselves with a note of triumph, that we are free. Thirdly, we think of the Sabbath as an act of trust, that our trust in God, that it's not really us that makes the sun come up or the world go around or all the things in life happen, right? It doesn't all rest with us. It doesn't all bear on our shoulders. So the Sabbath is an act of trust, that God appointed the Sabbath to remind us that he is working and to practice his Sabbath as a disciplined and faithful way to remember that you're not the one who keeps the world running or provides for your family or even the one who keeps the projects moving forward, that it's all in the hands of God that ultimately it's his work that makes a difference. Matthew uh, 6 tells us, too, to think about the lilies and the valleys of the field, that they neither toil or spin, but yet they're clothed far beyond what we can produce. Jesus gives us an invitation. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the kind of rest we need. Have you ever noticed, too, the last point here as we finish up, that God the Father came to the earth as a gardener, and Jesus came to work as a carpenter. Very practical, daily human needs, aren't they? And have you ever considered that your work is service to God and others? This is a concept here that uh, Martin Luther had. In his catechism, he addresses the petition of the Lord's Prayer, asking God to give us our daily bread. And Luther says, when you pray for your daily bread, you're praying for everything that contributes to having and enjoying your daily bread, that open up and expand your thinking, that it's not just the flour bin and the baking oven, but it's the fields and the farmers and the entire country that produces, processes, and conveys to us our daily bread of all kinds of nourishment. So how is it that God feeds every living thing, as he promises in Psalm 145, verse 16? Isn't it through the farmer and the baker and the retailer and the website programmer and the truck driver and all who contribute to bring us food? Luther writes, God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he doesn't want to do so. And then he gives an analogy to show us why God works this way. As a parent, grandparent, we want to give our children everything they need. 
but we also want them to become diligent and conscientious and responsible people. So we give our children chores. They can obviously do the chores better themselves, but that would not give the children to grow into maturity. But parents give their children what they need, character, through the diligence required for the chores they assign them. Luther concludes that God's work through our work is for the same reason. For what else is all our work to God, whether in the fields or in the garden or in the city or in the house and war and government, but just such children's performance by which he wants to give his good gifts in the fields and at home and everywhere else. These are the masks of God, as if he's hiding behind a mask of our work, right? The masks of God, which behind he wants to remain concealed, but yet do all things. So our work is kind of a mystery, that we fulfill the purposes of God in our service to others. Romans 12, 1 puts it well. It says, here's what I want you to do with God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it as an offering before God. We offer our work to God. We're serving him. Amen? Lord, we pray, help us in these things. Encourage us in our work. Guide us. Teach us. Correct us. Sustain us in the work of our hands. That you would confirm the work of our hands, Lord. We look to you for your blessing and your help. In Jesus' name, amen.